Hello and welcome to Dowdy, the podcast where me, Mariana Feijó, talk to my guests about the concept of bravery, or braveness, even just the moments where folks have been slightly out of their comfort zones. This week I'm going to once again be brave live on tape by sharing with you one of my specific types of anxiety. <laughs> what I do a lot is practice conversations that I'm thinking of having in my head before they happen and come up with possible outcomes of the conversation and how I'd react to each outcome of the conversation. Many times that leads me to not have the conversation because one of the outcomes is something I don't want to happen. Another thing I also do is replay conversations that did happen in my head and think about ways I could have had those conversations better. <laughs> and I was thinking of a conversation that I did have on a podcast on Verona Rose's episode after an incident that happened with me while I was outside wearing my capoeira hoodie. And I think one of the things that I didn't say at the time was that one of the reasons I wear it is in honor of my capoeira mestre, my master of capoeira, the founder of my group, Mestre Israel. And then I thought that he'd be a person that I'd answer as someone who's an example of bravery. If I, at any time, am asked that question. <laughs> And why do I think Mestre Israel is a brave person. He grew up in Brazil, is both black and indigenous, and Brazil has so many issues of racism. I, th I know the whole world has, but Brazil as well. Um, and he grew up very poor in Brazil, and he chose capoeira as his art form, his movement, his expression outlet and capoeira has been a stigmatized activity. It used to be a crime to practice capoeira. It was only decriminalized in the 1930s. And even though I grew up, and I was born in 85, and I grew up thinking of capoeira as an example of Brazil's culture, it has only become cultural patrimony in Brazil in 2008. And the relationship between Brazilian government and capoeira has not always been the easiest one. So I'm assuming that by the sole fact that you practice capoeira in the streets as a black indigenous man to top it, I can't imagine his life very easy in Brazil. But he took the opportunity to travel with capoeira and to live in other countries And that like, ties in with another thing that sometimes I hear Portuguese people say, which is the idea that Brazilian Portuguese is a lesser language because it's different. That's the only reason, which makes me really angry. <laughs> because it's when Brazilian people are speaking or writing, they're not speaking wrong or writing wrong. They're speaking and writing in the way that Brazilian is. You know, it's the same between British English and American English. Americans write some words with Z when British write it with S and both are correct. Theater is R-E in British, E-R in American as well as other words similarly spelled, and both are correct. They're two very similar languages with differences. That's the same between Portuguese from Portugal and Portuguese from Brazil. And the only reason why you think one is better than the other is because you're the colonizer. <laughs> And many people who do say that think of themselves as anti-colonialists and all of that, but can't understand or haven't thought about it yet, the reason why they think the way they think is because of colonialism. This to say that when people do say things like that, oh, you speak a Portuguese that isn't correct, you're doing it wrong, and... Maybe you're not that smart. That's the hugest misconception you can have. You can't also think that because someone spells something in a different way than that, 
in which that thing appears in the dictionary, it one doesn't mean they're dumb. It means they maybe didn't go through the school system. And two doesn't mean they're wrong all the time because there are other ways of writing things that are related to dialects, specific ways certain communities communicate. But above all, the fact that you haven't had the opportunity to go through the school system doesn't mean that you're not smart. And Mestish Hayao is once again a good example of this because he speaks and writes Portuguese, English and Czech without ever having learned it at school in like a proper school setting, you know. And that, I think, shows how smart he is. He's also maybe one of the most intelligent people in the physical sense. He has had a very horrible work accident. He works in construction and he had a very bad work accident in which he was told that he was maybe unlikely to walk again. And mostly through his own will, control of his body, the fact that he is a self-taught martial artist, not self-taught because Capoeira goes from masters from masters to students, right? So he's not self-taught, he learned it from other people, but not in like the sense in which we, I think, see exercise in our current times. We need to go to the gym, have a teacher to tell us how to do things, uh, like a teacher that has maybe studied in university or has done courses or whatever. And that's not how Capoeira was and still is. And with that control of his body and the knowledge he has of his body and of movement through this martial art that some people say is a dance, that has music and rhythm, he was able to heal himself. And in this episode I talk about my knee injury, which is very small in comparison. But I do look up to Messi Israel and his journey with his injury to still exercise despite feeling pain because I know that's the way my knee will heal. I'm not exercising past pain and in a way that the injury will be worse but I'm still exercising despite pain because pain exists and my knee is healing and I did go to the physio last Friday. I do talk as well in this episode about the reason why it took me over two months to do it. And the physio told me I was young, fit and healthy, which was <laughs> almost a surprise for me, and that I should keep the course. But it's to say that, yeah, Meshish Hayao is one example of bravery that I'd give people because of all those reasons that I've stated. And that's it for an intro. I think that's enough. <laughs> This episode starts as Dowdy always starts with my guest Pauline Eyre introducing herself. I'm Pauline Eyre. I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. So I'm a stand up comedian and I'm an antenatal teacher and I'm a fitness instructor and I'm a parent and I. Uh, at the moment, I drive uh, a van with frozen food in it. I do all sorts of things, and I write, and I write web content. Yeah, I do a hundred different things, and I have a podcast called Early Doors. That's all you need to know about me. That's plenty, I think. <laughs> that, that's that's a lot, because we usually like in the creative fields, and, and I have like a lot of pe people from that uh, field uh, that come on a podcast, and it's usually people do more than one thing to, to keep up. Well, with you have to, and it's everything, right? Yeah. But you are you have very specific and unusual and fun things <laughs> <laughs> that you do. That that yeah, lots. It's it's a I think it's a huge advantage that some people have, particularly women. Actually, when we have children, and you you reevaluate. And so people often go part-time in their careers when they've had children, but then the alternative is you don't have to go, you don't have to stay in one thing. Actually, it made a lot of sense before lockdown to have lots of different strings to my bow, all of which fitted around. Um, well, actually, the one thing I didn't mention is I'm a voiceover and that's the thing I would make the most money out of, but I have to be available all the time. So if I teach in the evenings and I do comedy in the evenings, I'm always available to jump into London and go and do a, a voiceover. And so it was a really 
sensible and I did all the sensible things about having stuff that I could do if the creative stuff all fell apart but nobody of course banked on a pandemic where everything disappeared the the teaching did stay the antenatal teaching we went online but everything else just went it was horrible yeah I feel a little bit the same because everything I do is uh, like photography uh, performing yeah uh, social media for creative companies yeah so yeah it could uh, all have gone uh, terribly wrong and I was able to keep one thing going and yeah. uh, build from that but yeah it could have. it was a really and strange it's always time that, that thing oh if I don't have a performing gig I can do photography if I don't have photography I can do yeah create content for uh, social media yeah yeah never thought about uh, the fact that it could all disappear yeah never expected to I never expected to work in a shop which I've absolutely loved actually um, and drive a van but needs must and it and I was lucky there was work you know managed to find it and it was brilliant and actually it's um, for for a lovely funky little company and um, it's really nice driving a van And delivering food to people's houses is, for me, the most stress-free thing I've done in forever, I think. just I just pootle around in my little van, listening to podcasts, one place to another. I have no stress. My phone is off all day. It's, it's just great. <laughs> Who knew? The money is crap. But, um, but it's been, you know... It's kept the wolf from the door. It's probably very different from that, but when yeah. you talk about being a neonatal... Antenatal teacher, yeah. Antenatal teacher. I always think about my time watching Call the Midwife because they have their little courses pre-birth uh, yes. and all of that. So that's what I imagine your life to be. Oh, yeah. I wear a little, <laughs> a little hat <laughs> and lots of lipstick. Uh, no, none of that. It's been lovely you doing that online. Around. Yeah, but it's, that's been brilliant online because... Um, a parents are so isolated and and it's a lifeline and b doing it online has meant no dark church halls at 10 o'clock at night packing a load of stuff in the car when you're literally the the you know the the car park for the church is in the graveyard and it's dark and it's winter and you're on your own um so no carrying heavy boxes and all of that I've actually liked yeah I've liked doing it online but it's been really tough for parents In some ways, a great time to have a baby because there's no FOMO. <laughs> But in yeah. every other way, a terrible time to have a baby because there's just no support. Yeah, I have a friend who had a baby. I haven't met a baby yet because it was just at the start of the pandemic. So the baby has turned one already yeah. and I haven't met him. But basically, he just went into nursery now. But until now, he had only met his yes. mother, his father and one of his grandmothers. Which is actually brilliant for babies. It's actually really, really good for babies. It's just incredibly hard for parents. So you'll have a very secure bunch of babies because they've had only their very closest nest for the start of their yeah. lives. But yeah, driving the parents insane in the process. So yeah, yeah. hopefully he'll settle well in nursery because that's also weird when you haven't even met other people. Yeah. I think he is settling very well, so that's that's, that's, good. that's nice. Yeah. He's, a, he's apparently a very friendly baby. <laughs> <Phew>. <laughs> yeah. How do you define bravery? That's such an interesting one, because when, when you asked me to do this, I asked my husband, I said, what have I ever done that's brave? And people say, oh, well, you do stand-up comedy and that's brave. And that's not brave. To me, that's not brave at all. And I can see that for a lot of people it would be because the idea of doing stand-up comedy would be so awful for lots of people. But for me, my I've always said, put me in front of a spreadsheet, that's brave, because my brain doesn't work that way. So for me, doing stand-up is just like food. It's it's just, it's feeding something so basic that I want lots of attention and people liking me and all that kind of thing. So I asked my husband, he came up with a few things. I'm The way I would define brave, I suppose, is doing something you don't want to do anyway you know, feel the fear and do it anyway and all of that. And there are ways in which I think I am naturally very brave in that I don't mind making a fool of myself. But then is that brave? If, it, if it's not brave because it's not as difficult for me. Yeah. I will happily do things that other people would find cringe making, like, you know, just like the idea of sort of slapstick or pratfall or, you know, I wouldn't take my clothes off in public, but it's that, but that sort of nature of that and being vulnerable. And I don't find that brave because I don't find it hard. He's, my husband said, he came up with an example of when I was, I had an unplanned cesarean with my twins 
it was all a bit of a a shitstorm and uh, my body had gone into shock so I was shaking violently and I said to the surgeon um, and they called my husband and asked him to come and he thought because we'd had a baby before he thought oh it'll be hours <laughs> it'll be hours and hours so he got up and ironed a shirt and had a shower and literally chose some music for the car what the hell are you doing and had some breakfast and it was 5 30 in the morning and um sort of poodled in and by the time and it was all happening without him there and I said to the surgeon can you not start cutting until he arrives because this image of him walking in and there's a bloody scalpel and the guy's you know I'm on the thing and then the uh, the surgeon looked at me and said no no I can't wait and it was then that I knew it was um, an emergency I didn't know it was any kind of emergency and so I thought I need to make it okay when he walks in the room and I do looking back I think that was a really nice thing to do that my thought was on him and so my memory is of him walking in and me having planned and said, hello, darling, everything's fine. And his memory, his memory is, is of me violently shaking, going, hello, darling, everything's fine. <laughs> um, but that was really nice that he, he gave that as an example. For me, sometimes um, assertiveness is brave because I find assertiveness mm-hmm. much easier than it used to be, but still in a difficult situation, I find assertiveness makes me sweat and keeps me up at night having to stand up to somebody yeah and I've been bullied a couple of times and standing up to a bully that that I find incredibly brave and I don't normally do it um, I, you know so I've, a couple of times that it's happened once I just retreated and ran away and another time people kept saying to me you have to stand up to this person you have to if you just confront her and say it she'll stop and it went on and on and on and on and I did eventually I did and that was amazing and she completely capitulated and went oh I didn't know which is bollocks because she's done it to loads of other people but she has been respectful ever since and that's quite and she's somebody who just walks over people and behaves very badly and she doesn't do it to me and that felt brave ask me a question I'll give you a 15 minute answer (laughs) the 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 thing with the cesarean I think like because when you are I imagine, because I've never gone through that experience, but <laughs> where you are going to have a baby, you've made a plan and it's all very tidy in your head. So when something yes. goes out of the plan, I imagine yes. it's, uh, yeah, it is brave to stay calm, even if you were in shock. But I think your memory is also part of uh, your memory yeah. that you were, you were able to tell your husband everything is okay. <laughs> You were able to go through that thought process, even if what came out of you might not have been the exact image that you have in your mind. I think that is like, yeah, I I am agreeing that that is brave. It's the sort of thing, I think it was the way I was brought up. It was what my mum did in a crisis was go very calm and she would always take care of the people around her. So when you're in that kind of a position, I think it would be natural to become it would be nat- it was natural for me to become my mother at that moment and go mm-hmm. everything's fine everything's in control it might look frightening but you're okay and you're safe so i think i just tr- sort of parented him at that moment but i was acutely aware of what that would feel like for him because i'd been dealing with the issue for a couple of hours yeah. and he'd had no idea and he was fast asleep and got woken up and told to come in and thought he was coming in for this positive experience mm-hmm. and it yeah so it was yeah so that, yeah i'm quite proud of that I think that was a good a good way of responding to it and now it's a funny story because it was only when he told the story back it was like you know it was nothing like that (laughs) you were absolutely because I was physically shaking that's what the shock was doing yeah he said you're an absolute jabbering mess I was like oh (laughs) no I was calm in a crisis and and an absolute goddess I'm sure of it (laughs) and I did have like an experience very recently last week of having to stand up to someone very scary because I don't even know if I will say it was standing up to someone I was followed on the street for like 20 minutes it was daylight in the morning but I was followed by this guy with a very dodgy look and first I thought I was being paranoid because I haven't I've barely been out of my area in the past year so I thought I'm just being paranoid people are on the streets it's fine but I did that thing of like slowing down and he went past me and waited and kept following and then, like, I fa- uh, went faster yeah. and he went faster. I crossed the street and he crossed the street. I crossed the street oh, in the middle of traffic and he crossed the street in the middle of traffic. 
and I was going to walk from my house in Hackney to the British Museum. So it was a very long walk and I thought I can't do this for more than mm. an hour. And I don't know if it will be this busy the whole time. So I decided to stop, turn to him and he started talking to me and I just said, can you just stop? And he did. And it felt amazing because I was like, I was really scared because I don't know. He yeah. was smallish. So I thought like in a physical altercation, I could handle him. I can him. take him. <laughs> but what if he has a knife or whatever? So yeah, it yeah. was scary because of that, but it worked. I did I did something similar, which I'd heard about or read about, which is somebody, um, I think there's a lawnmower or something okay. happening outside my house. That, I'm really sorry good. if there's a droney no noise. Yeah. Uh, this, the problem of living somewhere lovely and quiet <laughs> is that you really hear when there's noise. Yeah, I'd read about doing this and then it happened to, and I was kind of ready. I was like, oh, if this ever happens to me, I'm going to be there, which is if, if somebody touches you on the tube. And exactly that happened. I was on a busy tube standing with my arm up and, and holding on. And this guy fondled my bum. And I did it. I grabbed his hand, held it up in the air and said, get your fucking hands off me. And it was so powerful and brilliant and amazing. <laughs> what I hadn't banked on was what what happens next. So he looked completely humiliated. I'm standing holding his hand, so he's got, you know, he's literally caught red-handed sort of thing. And then everybody else looks at you like, fair dues, well done. And then you have to sort of let My go of his hand and carry on <laughs> with the journey. It's like, okay, I've just, okay, well now what do you do? And with the guy next to you, because he has nowhere to well, go. Yeah, Which, and it's definitely worse for him, because he yeah. would have been completely humiliated and I hope never done it again, um, I hope. But that's the sort of thing that I was quite sort of brave at that moment. But that drawing attention to myself in that way, I don't have a problem with. And it makes me laugh and smile and, and sort of, you know. But then the next bit was like the embarrassment and yeah. the social embarrassment. That's quite a... Well, you, I always think of that as a very British thing. As a not-British person, is that a British thing? That social awkwardness and embarrassment is I don't think British. so, because I am very socially awkward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But maybe you're right, because maybe I'm, I have a better time at being socially awkward in the UK than I, than I had in Portugal. Because people are generally less loud around me here and it's easier to, to be that way as well. And for me, it's sort of that middle-class polite doing the right thing and being, yes, this nonsense about being sort of ladylike or, or behaving in a certain way. But I absolutely relish never doing that. The ladylike thing, there's some things that I think are easier for me here. And I don't know if it's because I am in a place where no one knows me or like the people who know me mm. are the people who don't care about the fact <laughs> that I'm not un unladylike. Uh, but people like, who like you. <laughs> yeah, things like sitting on the floor or whatever. Uh, in Portugal, I always felt like people were staring. Oh, well, she's sitting on the floor in the middle of the street. What? She's probably yeah. not... But th I think that's London. Yeah. I think that's London. I don't think you could do that in a small town in the UK or... Yeah, London is is so liberal and, and yeah. people are so used to people behaving, you know, strangely or unsociably or... Yeah. And that's right back from, from, you know... I remember when I was a child, the punk thing happened. Mm -hmm. And you'd walk down the street and you'd see punks and people were shocked. And it was shocking. It was such a shocking, different thing. But quite quickly, as I was growing up, it was like, it's damn cool though, isn't it? It's, yeah. you know, they're really standing up to be different. And it wasn't, especially once I realised it wasn't threatening. Yeah. I also and like, that's you very just London. said something that made me think that maybe I'm usually being very unfair when I'm talking about Portugal in general. And I think some <laughs> of the things are fair. But I also grew up, like, I spent most of my life in a very small town in Portugal. So, yeah, yeah. that's also how I'm colouring my view of it. Although yeah. a lot of things are general because it's a very Catholic country. So the judgment is there all the time. Maybe I'm just being... Unfair. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. But it's your experience, yeah. so that's blimmin' valid. <laughs> On the other side of the scale, were there moments in your life in which you haven't done something for lack of bravery or fear? Well, there, there was the other bullying thing, which went on for years and years. And, and I mean, that sounds as though it, this isn't like a massively traumatic childhood experience or anything. This is an adult. It's just being pushed around by somebody who pushes people around. 
But it did feel like bullying because it was sustained and ongoing for years. And it was in really a social setting, I suppose. And I ended up just leaving and, and putting up with it and putting up with it and putting up with it and then leaving and going somewhere else for that for that hobby. And I don't know, and to this day, actually during lockdown, I rejoined the place again and being so careful. Not that those people are ever going to listen, I'm sure, to me uh, on a podcast. But I think if that woman was an ardent fan of this podcast, she wouldn't bother with this episode. But there you go. Um, <laughs> and I've joined back now, but I've joined, uh, but because of lockdown, a load of people from my other club have joined as well. And so that person is still there, but she's in a minority because I've got lots of friends around and so I'm stronger. And then I, what I tend to do, and I don't like it in myself, but I do like doing it, is then I become really bitchy. And that person is now a scapegoat for me as that's a really difficult person and you need to know that's a difficult person and you need to know that's a difficult person. And so I'm spreading it clearly around to my friends yeah. and do be careful because you, that person will bully you given half a chance. And that's not very nice or pleasant, it also feels like the right thing to do because that person will push them around. But I mean, I did literally used to used to come home crying and and lose confidence and not be able to perform well because this person made me miserable. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard, you know, it's just part of life, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't know why you why you wouldn't do the brave thing and just say this needs to stop and then live with a better situation because that's you, you kind of think well you know I can't confront it because that would make everything worse and so I'm not sure how it could have been made worse to be honest um, it's not like I was in physical danger and it was going to escalate it was just you know that's somebody pushes people around again again I guess yeah but in the end you ended up leaving that hobby thing right that club yeah is that the worst case scenario even if you have pushed back or do you yeah probably yeah. but but it's no the what i think the worst case scenario was that if i had confronted her and been unpleasant back then other people would have said well pauline's an unpleasant and difficult person mm-hmm. it it's that i didn't want to be i'd rather be the the person who's badly treated and people say well that's not fair she doesn't get treated well then oh look at her standing up I mean, in fact people would have said look at her she stood up to the bully I'm sure but it didn't feel like that and I was paying money to do this hobby and having a terrible time it's like you know and I have grown up enough to go I'm not paying money for something that doesn't make me happy yeah I'm not I'm not doing this with people that make me miserable I wouldn't do comedy gigs for a promoter that had been abusive towards me I just wouldn't go back yeah even if there was money in it because I'm not in some parts of my life it's like well I'm I will stand up for myself and, and be appropriate but in that one I didn't yeah. and that that did remind me of the comedy uh, circuit when you said that you tell now tell your friends this person is a bully be careful because they will bully mm. you. I do do that in comedy when I have had the bad experience with the promoter I will tell people it's up to you yes. whether you want to try it for yourself or not but this is my experience and I think you shouldn't uh, do it or someone told me they had that experience with this person when it's like a really really bad experience so I've never done the night so just so you know and me too gave us that me too definitely gave us that it it gave us the power to say to each other to actually contact somebody on a direct message and go just so you know and that first started happening with car shares when I got to a level of comedy where I was doing car shares as soon as you car share with a woman it <laughs> it all tumbles out very quickly and I wasn't party to a lot of that because I'm older I started comedy when I was 48 and because I'm known to be you know I talk about being married with children and stuff and being older I wasn't getting the same kind of stuff I wouldn't wasn't getting the sexual attention from male promoters and that kind of thing I'd, you'd still get difficult people, and there was. Um, I got, I got, I had a very unpleasant experience, sexual experience with not, not sexual, sexual. Um, I'm not going to say assault. It wasn't as bad as that, but you know, I had one of those Me Too experiences with a promoter, and you know, unfriended, and will never do that gig again because he's a prat and, a, and horrible. But it was in comedy car shares that I learned what my younger colleagues were mm-hmm. experiencing a lot from people. But it, but first, the first time was was a comedy car share where the comic told me how inappropriate this guy had been, and it was the same guy. Mm-hmm. And it was like it was a bit of a throwaway thing in my case, but in her case, it was touching her and sidling up to her and completely invading her space and it's like yeah and I wrote that off as oh he was being flirty or oh he was you know yeah 
And it, yeah, so the Me Too thing massively helped with that. And women are doing that all over the place. Yeah, and that's like good. I think like it, there should be things put in place that all mean that you didn't have to do that in like whisper circles. Um, yes. But still, I think that's it's positive that the whisper circles exist. And I always think it is protecting yourself. Because as soon as you shout, people and it's and it makes sense with human nature. People don't want to go. Oh well, she's definitely right there. You know, people want to go. Are there two sides to this story? Mm-hmm. Is it is it something that happened just to her, or or, or wasn't it an unfortunate flirting experience that went right, etc.? And and it's always the woman that gets tarred with that. Yeah, always. I've seen it happen a number of times in the enormous, massive world that is comedy. <laughs> that the rest of the world doesn't know or care about. But it, but it, in the comedy world, they, things go like wildfire, don't they? Yeah. And when those men have, and it's, you know, hashtag not all men, and, but, and it's not always men, I suppose, but when those men have power and they have power to get gigs and, and tell mm-hmm. other people what you're like and all the rest of it, it's hard. Yeah. It's a mess, but hopefully it mm. will get better. Uh, you talked about hobbies and how you don't need to do something if or pay for something if you're not uh, having a good time with that. I knitted my first jumper throughout lockdown and I oh, ran out of wool twice and I couldn't find the same wool. So I had to go to wait for shops to open and go to an in-person shop to find something that looked like what I was knitting yeah. with. And I hated the experience in the shop I went to, but I was like under pressure to finish the jumper. So I just bought the wool and then I <laughs> ran out of wool again and I had to go to the same place because... Oh. And I was so annoyed at myself because I, I hate... It's like a an independent wool shop. So yeah. I wanted to support it, but the people were so unfriendly and the sort of oh, we're very experienced knitters, you have no experience, uh, what are you doing here, buying our wool, if you have never knitted oh. a, a jumper before? Come on. <laughs> You're a customer, jeez. Yeah. yeah, that's horrible. But but of course they have the monopoly on exactly. little independent wool shops because they're on <laughs> And it's that will go to Amazon and, I, you know, I've yeah. completely stopped going to Amazon. But I have a pretty jumper and that's all that matters. Yes. And you made it yourself, yes. which is fantastic. I don't know if I will make another jumper again because it took me forever. <laughs> is there something coming up in your future for which you will have to be brave? Oh, got my first in-person gig in two days time. It's I don't need to be as brave as I thought I was going to need to be. So last week I went back to the gym and taught a class for the first time. So I teach aerobics type classes and I didn't sleep the night before. I was so anxious. I've never been an anxious person, but lockdown has made me quite anxious. And I was up in the night and I was dreaming about it and I was worrying about it being safe. And I hadn't been indoors anywhere without a mask on for a long, long time. And I'd barely been indoors anywhere. I was really nervous. and I was shaking with nerves like like it was my first ever comedy gig or something. I was really, really nervous. And then I got there and the new owner of the gym showed me around the whole gym and how they've changed it because they took the time in lockdown to to do it all up and it was all lovely but I didn't feel comfortable and then I taught the class and it's like god fantastic and I'd had a great workout and so I was high as a kite on all of that and I thought that felt quite brave and I was really pleased I did that last week because I think I'd have felt like that about the comedy gig yeah. on Thursday and I need I need a good gig because two days later I've got a tryout for a for a professional promoter that I haven't worked for before. So I need the first one to go well so that I don't go to the second one thinking I haven't done a gig for a year. So I don't know if that's going to need... I don't know how I'll feel. I'm not nervous about it yet. I haven't even thought about what material I'm going to use, but that might be... I think, for me, getting back into the world feels... Yeah. ..feels brave. I'm quite quite quick at getting institutionalised. And I, you know, once... Especially when the with the sort of second and third lockdown, I was more than happy to lock. I was really, really on board with locking down, yeah. and I and other people were sort of well, we can get round, we can get round the rules like this. And I was like, no, I want to go, I want to go hard on the rules and stay in completely. I was happy that my kids were off school, um, not spending the time with them, but <laughs> you understand. But I was happy that they weren't mixing. I didn't feel it was safe for them to be mixed at school. I didn't understand the science that it could be. And then when they went back to school and things were starting to open up. I thought I want to shut down more because they're going into school. Mm -hmm. I was really frightened of COVID, really frightened of long COVID, really frightened of of having a middle-aged husband, which, you know, men, middle-aged men were quite a high-risk group just by virtue of that. 
so I think just yeah it does feel like it will be a series of steps and I'm taking those steps more slowly than other people yeah but I'm I've just had my second jab that's made a big difference Mm -hmm. so I'm not quite so concerned about myself now but um, I don't want to go back to teaching antenatal courses in person because pregnant women are generally not jabbed that scares me and that will be a thing I'll have to do um, in a couple of months so lots of bits it is very scary because I think yeah I think like first we should give openness to everyone to do it at their own rhythm because people will be comfortable with things mm. that other people aren't and you should we shouldn't try to push anyone into doing things but also like I've had I've been trying to go out uh, and do stuff because things are opening up even though I don't necessarily think we're doing it the right way around mm. and maybe we, sh- we could wait one more month and get more people vaccinated but that's okay sure and control the new variant yeah but I am, uh, like, I went to a comedy gig the other day. I went to a um, company social the other day. I went to a couple of museums. Mm. So I, I am doing stuff. Uh, I've I think had... when it's... Yeah, I was going to say, at the moment, people are being... People who are organising them are organising them well and making sure they do it right. Yeah. It's when it's when you first go to a comedy gig and they have they're not really bothering... That will be really hard. It's like, oh God, am I the one that stands? That's where I'm not brave. I won't be the one going. Yeah, I'm sorry, you're not supposed to be doing that. Yeah, I did it at the, my tennis club last week. That it was raining, and so everybody else said, "Well, we'll just play indoors." I was like, "Well, you're not allowed to play indoors." It was the week before last when you weren't allowed to play indoors. And then they said, "Oh, well, we'll just say we're a bubble." And I said, I'm, "I can't do that." But I only said I only was prepared to do it on a WhatsApp. I wasn't prepared to do it in person. Yeah. But it's like I'm not going to pretend I'm in a bubble with people because. I may not understand all of the rules and all of the science around all of the rules, but and I may find that it's arbitrary that, oh, well, I'm allowed indoors with her, but I'm not allowed indoors yeah. with him. doesn't matter. You know, we, put the, we draw the lines where we have to draw the lines. What difference does it make whether I'm playing tennis singles or doubles? It, well, it does make a difference, yeah. but I might not understand. It's just more people, more people at the same time and, and raising the risks. So those things make me nervous yeah i did go i like i i did one gig in between lockdowns and i thought these people aren't being safe and i'm not going to do any more gigs because i'm not yeah. uh and I, I don't fear as much for myself because i had covid early on it wasn't bad so yeah. like i'm relaxed for myself even if i know i can get it again and i can get it worse I'm relaxed for myself, but I know I can give it to others. And I know some situations are not safe for people. Even if I don't give it to anyone or get it, I think this situation is wrong. So yeah, and the gig I went on Monday, I thought people were very well seated in social, socially distanced seating. Everything was very well organized, but we were told we should only move around with our masks. Mm. And after people had a couple of glasses of wine, they were yeah. walking around willy-nilly. And that's yeah. what I think will happen and will make me very uncomfortable. And that's where it and that's where bravery is going, well, I'm not gonna perform then. Yeah. And I don't have that bravery. I'll do what you did in between the lockdowns and go, oh, I won't do that again. Yeah. But when you're actually in that situation and you have to stand up and do the right thing, I find that incredibly hard. Yeah, in that situation, I did do the gig and I did stay there to support the other performers. Yeah. And I should probably have said something or left. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I'm at the stage of the gigs that I'm doing that I just started before the first lockdown. I had just started to do paid gigs every week around the country. So I was traveling around the country. And every gig I do, I'm basically trying out yeah. for, you know, for, for other stuff at other nights with those same promoters. So I'm in such a, a vulnerable position of not being a difficult person and being a safe pair of hands on stage, but also somebody that you want to book off stage. Yeah. And so <laughs> being bolshy is, um, yeah. I hate that. I hate that I'm not good at it. I'm not good at just, you know, I just wish I could be assertive and and people come away with 
you know, that that was assertive. I can do it in some situations, much more than I could when I was younger, but you don't want to be the difficult one. Yeah. I did an amazingly assertive thing one time because I teach informed decision-making as part of my antenatal courses. And it's all about this is your body, this is your experience, and this is how the system works. And sometimes you may want to challenge your caregivers. Mm. And um, I went to my practice nurse to have an asthma check, the annual asthma check. And she said, um, oh, take your shoes off, pop yourself up on the scales. And I definitely would always have just done it and had a terrible rest of the day and, you know, felt really bad. And why can't I just be assertive and go? And I didn't. And because I'd been teaching this for, I think, 10 years already by then, I said, oh, why? And she went, oh, I don't know, really. We just, it's what we do every time. I went, oh, well, in that case, I won't, if that's okay, because that's going to wreck my day. And she went, yeah, no problem. I thought, bloody hell, that was so easy. And it still ruined my day, but next time and if ever now I go in so pop yourself off on the scales I will always say why if it's an anaesthetist yeah. I get it you need to know how much I weigh for to, to, to work out how much of the drug to give me but if it's just for your records at my GP to decide to put me in a box where oh well she's overweight well yeah. yes I'm overweight I'm also very fit and being overweight of course is massively layered with all the emotional shit that comes with it and that was an amazing change that was like I can do that I can take care of my mental health that way that was brilliant I can't remember where I what spurred me to tell that story about yeah but like the assertiveness it had to do with gigs but yeah the assertiveness yeah that's something I've never thought of doing because yeah just like telling a doctor that asks me to go on the scale I won't do it for me seems very confrontational but asking why is something I can definitely do exactly yeah. it's like you know what what is it that you're offering because actually medics are always supposed to offer you treatment you give information and they offer mm-hmm. you options and you decide whether to take them or not so actually why do you need the information of how much i weigh if it's relevant i'm all over it mm-hmm. if it's not relevant and and also the, just the assumption that it will be relevant because they're asking you to do it yeah and then you weigh that up with a little bit of information for you for your survey about how many people are overweight or whatever the reason is versus me having an existential crisis for the yeah. rest of the day i'm I'm not going down that route it was really nice it was so nice and you also just said something that doctors are supposed to offer you a treatment that you will say mm. whether or not you take i think i've had that as an experience very recently with the gp i've been going to like for the last couple of times i needed something i went to the the same doctor and she asked me she explains things to me and then she asked me does it this sound good to you or do you have another plan and i'm like come on you're the doctor what? <laughs> it's been very confusing to me but you're right they're just offering me an option that i can yeah. take or not and you have the right to know the the pros and cons of, of the, what they're offering and what the alternatives are and that's the whole thing is based on that um, I found it wonderful with um, menopause um, and I have a wonderful GP who's been helping me with that and so I and I was really unsure for years I didn't want to take HRT I was scared of it etc I just didn't go down that route and then started to think about going down that route and started to do a bit of reading and went to my doctor and said I'm a bit frightened of doing the reading really I'm a bit unsure about and It was such a brilliant conversation because she was like, well, here's some information. Go and try that bit of information. And I said, well, I've heard about these alternatives. What do you think about that? Oh, well, here's some evidence-based stuff on those alternatives to HRT. And I felt so good about that decision. I really feel like she and I discussed it and I made a decision because I had an absolute free range of decision. There was no feeling from her of, oh, crumbs, if she turns this down, she could die. It wasn't that. So she didn't have any emotional investment in the decision that I made it was just you have whatever alternatives you want and it was god it was brilliant but also having taught that stuff for many years I that's the wavelength I'm on when I go to the doctor and so I've had doctors who said oh well we'll do this and then we'll do this and I said oh can you explain a bit more so before I before I make a decision on that can I have a bit more information and that just that just gently and really calmly brings the power back to you So, oh, before I make that decision, can you just give me some more information? Just says, it's my decision, isn't yeah. it? Without being confrontational. And I think it also helps. It also frames it to the doctor themselves, right? Because yeah. it's not only you. Because the way I see it and the way I've done it for a while, and because I have like a scientific background, I usually do my research before I go to the doctor. And mm. I have an idea of what I want. And then yes. if they tell me something else, I will argument 
argument. I will argue <laughs> with what I've read and then we'll come to an agreement. So that's why this yes. this this new approach was different to me and felt odd. Uh, but then things like weight, which is something I dealt with for a long time, and that part of my relationship with my weight has to do with the way doctors talk to yeah. me about weight when I was a teenager. But I, I know how much I weigh, and so I don't necessarily mind if doctors weigh me. I mind when they tell me yeah. what to do about my weight when I know yes. that that's not necessarily what needs to happen. But I usually just disregard it, let them talk, and then go my own way. Yeah. But I think, yeah, it's not only for me that I'm arguing. And maybe there are other people who are who don't have the same sort of relationship with that as me, and that can't ignore what they say. So maybe I should be yeah. trying to argue <laughs> For everyone. But it's also what that information is used for. So I was chatting with um, my tennis coach, not my tennis coach, the tennis coach at my club. And he said that he had been on the phone, he'd had a phone consultation with the doctor the day before. And the doctor had said, how much do you weigh? How tall are you? You're three and a half stone overweight. You need to lose weight. And the guy couldn't even see his body. Yeah. It was a Zoom consultation. This is a super fit tennis coach probably in his 50s super fit plays tennis standing outside all day long and he said maybe I'm a stone overweight but this just and, and I was so angry about that it's like that is not how BMI works yeah. it is not how it works that's just wrong and oh my god are they doing that to teenage 14 year old girls as well you cannot make a that kind of a judgment and also just say so go and lose weight it's yeah. just incredibly poor but that's care. exactly what happened to me uh, when I was 14 and this oh. has been 20 21 years ago I was a swimmer <laughs> who swam competitively and I have polycystic ovaries so I have I had at yep. the time high testosterone which means that I built up muscle yeah in a percentage. and swimmers are yeah. so strong and muscular yeah, so yeah. my bmi height to weight was g gave me uh, an overweight level of bmi and i was told to lose weight and at the time because i have boobs and butt which happened yeah. when i was a teenager i could also not buy clothes at the same places my friends would buy clothes in so i just interiorized that I was fat and I needed to lose weight and that yeah. started a long life struggle with weight that then like because I studied biochemistry and nutrition mm. I know the facts but my brain sometimes still it's, needs to catch yeah. up yeah I'll tell me about it yeah. I, I work so hard on that mentally and it's not um it never it well I said it never goes away it's a lot better than it ever was but it's still it's so I was supposed to oh I'm going to sound like such a good person I was supposed to donate a kidney mm. two or three years ago and I went through this massive barrage of tests don't think of me as too nice a person I was definitely <laughs> going to write an Edinburgh show about it um which was forefront of my mind the whole time I was making notes at every appointment um but I went through an entire day of tests. So it was several blood tests, back and forth to blood tests and CT scans and everything, x-rays and everything. And I saw the I saw the surgeon at the end of the day and he said I was an, inc an incredibly strong candidate for donating a kidney. And he was, he was looking through all my figures and he literally said, he was looking through the computer screen going, there's nothing, there's nothing. And he just looked at me and went, you're not even overweight. And I was like, oh my God, what? And I went, what? Because that's literally since I was 11. And he, he said, let me show you. And he showed me this, I don't know what it was, this scan or whatever. And he said, here's your, what I can't remember what he called it. Here's your insulation or something. And that was my belly fat. And he said, now look around your kidneys. And around my organs, there was no fat around my yeah. organs at all. And it was really interesting. He said, you know, you're super healthy. Wow. And that was somebody who, and I had this incredible, on that day, I had this 100% perfect bill of health. And it was so nice. Any any sort of cancers that had been lurking anywhere would have been found on that day. So it was a it was a good experience to go through. And him saying that was really transformative. It's like I might have a belly, but inside my yeah. organs are doing brilliantly. So and then he said he said normally you have, people have a good kidney and a bad kidney, and you take the bad one so that they're left with the good one. But yours are so good. I could take either, so I'm going to take the one that's slightly better. And I remember being so flattered. And then walking out the room, going. 
wait, what? You're going to take my better kidney? <laughs> and then the whole thing didn't happen because the person got a different donor. So it was fine. But it, but what a thing for somebody to go, you're not even overweight. Yeah. It's like angels in the sky. What do you mean? And that was somebody with a really, really informed picture of the whole story. Yeah. And it wasn't about what size clothes I wore or how big my stomach is, belly is. It was about the weight of my body. So you can throw BMI at me all you like after that. It was like, you know, and, and then for a GP to go, Height plus weight equals your health. Yeah. It's pre- so preposterous. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. That's you just, shit. You just said it, right? Because someone may be outwardly thin and have like a BMI that puts them in the healthy range, but then yeah. have fat around their organs. Yeah. And that probably will mean that they're less unhealthy than you. Yeah. And I've literally, and I've literally, I mean, it's not the sort of thing you would ever say out loud to the, I know, I've got friends, I've got a dear friend who has cancer. And I still look at her and go, oh, I wish I looked like you. You know, she's yeah. very beautiful and she's very slim and she's and she has always eaten extraordinarily healthily and stuff. And she has this horrible disease that's back. And I still, there is still a bit of me that finds her body aspirational when mine is healthy. And that's so skewed. That's just awful. Yeah. Awful. And how much value judgment we have. But then that's the thing, because you may have all the knowledge and know how healthy or unhealthy you are with your habits, your weight, your exercise uh, habits and whatever. I injured my knee during COVID uh, because I was slacklining. And I went off the slack line and hurt my knee. What's a slack line? It's like those tight ropes that people put in between. Oh, right, like a zip wire. No, uh, like the ones you walk on. Oh, Oh. Yeah, I I was I can't really do it. I was trying it for the first time, and then when I <laughs> stepped right. out of it, my ligament just Ow. went. And I this was almost it it was more than two months ago, and it's been healing, but it still hurts. And I finally decided to ask my GP for physio, and just I had a call with the physio today, and I'm seeing them on Friday, yeah. and yeah, we'll see what will happen to my knee. But this whole time, I think part of what made me wait so long is that I'm worried they will talk about my weight and my joints. And I don't yeah. think it's necessarily related. I don't think I necessarily need to lose weight to have healthier joints. Maybe I need to strengthen my n- knee mm. muscles and muscles, stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's been a thing that's happened. I've waited more than two months to say, hey, maybe yeah. I need a physio because I'm worried about what they will tell me. Yeah, and I've always found, I have always felt that any illness or injury I have ever had was my own fault. Always, always, always. Well, if you weren't carrying this weight, you wouldn't have a cold, <laughs> literally. And anything you go to the doctor with, and, and to be fair, I'm not fat enough that, that that's generally been a thing. But I've still thought it, yeah. always thought it. And I, and I do it now. I still do it now. It's like my calf muscles go. It's because I do a lot of exercise and I carry so much weight. And that's why my calves are weak. Actually, I should have been stretching my calves better 20 years ago. Yeah. Equally, if I lose weight, it is I do find that my muscles do do better. So I, it's it's a difficult one because there is some evidence of that, of it is putting more, more strain on my joints perhaps. But the interesting one was when my shoulder went during lockdown. And it's like, my shoulder is not weight bearing. <laughs> It's it's that my shoulder is def it's because I served tennis serves without warming up and it went and it's and it and that was my own fault, but I don't have any shame of going to a physio and going, I've got a bad shoulder because I was a pillock that didn't warm up. Yeah. And that oh, was what so happened did. when I was slacklining because I didn't warm up. I was just th- thought, oh, I'm doing something fun. And then, uh, yeah. oh, fuck, I hurt my knee. Because <laughs> yeah. I do, like, I practice capoeira, I jump on my knees all the time and yeah. nothing ever happened because I uh, warm up usually. Yeah. Uh, slackline is not just something fun you can do in the park with your friends without... <laughs> no, I'm going to go and look it up. Yeah. And then I'm never going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Who is someone, real or fictional, from your own life or like a public figure that you would use as an example of bravery? First person that springs to mind would be AOC. And I'm going to get her name wrong. You'll tell me how to say it properly. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Yeah. Only with a proper accent. I find her immensely brave. Incredibly brave. Why would you put yourself through that? 
Um, and I think she's extraordinary and I just obviously love what she says, the content of what she says. But like after the January the 6th stuff when she was cowering in an office and they were specifically, she could hear people coming for her and then still sticking with it and um, and standing up and telling the story and with all of the abuse that she gets as a result. It's people like that, actually. Uh, Mari Black, the um, SNP, very, very young um, SNP Member of Parliament, and she's I find her extraordinarily brave. I think it's people who who st- stand up to be counted when they know that they're vulnerable after that. And I have a situation now where, which I will now always have, where do I stand up with that or not? Because I now have a child who's trans. Well, I always did, I just didn't know it before. Yeah. And that feels like... Um, I'm in a group for parents of trans kids and you they have to be incredibly careful with the group about, you know, you get interviewed at length before being allowed to join a Facebook group because it's happened over and over and over again that people have created false Facebook profiles and then they share the information, they screenshot and share and they get people to go after people. And it's it's really, it's it's proper nasty 1930s Germany stuff it's really really like people taking a lot of time to make other people miserable how much do I stand up over that you know I talk about it a little bit on stage now not a massive amount because it's not my story but you know I have some jokes around it and I want to stand up proudly as a parent but I know that that's an area where I am vulnerable too Mm -hmm. you know I'm not successful enough as a comedian yet that my voice is one that's going to be slammed down. But if and when I ever am, that will be the thing they come for. Yeah. And I massively, you know, and I've got to set an example for my child who has to be brave every day. Every day. Actually, God, you want an example of someone who's brave? My child, my child, God, went out in a skirt for the first time a couple of weeks, you know, a few weeks ago. And I... For the evening, so a 16-year-old who hasn't been out in the last year went into London on the tube in a skirt and I spent the whole time at home just knotted, you know, knots in my yeah. stomach but but not allowing that to show because I, I'm so proud and they had a fine old time and came back fine. But they've that's going to be around every corner. Yeah, I'm going to go. That's, 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 that's going to be a really brave life to live. And then my little bit on the side of that is, do I stand up on Twitter? What I do at the moment is just report people who are abusive to other people. Yeah. Which is a bit of a hobby of mine on Twitter, just quietly reporting people. Yeah. I'm such a brave person. Yeah. But so much stronger and happier since they came out. Yeah. It's a very specific kind of person. The way you just described someone that goes through the trouble of pretending they yeah. have a situation that a lot that makes them be in that Facebook group just to go just to just target to hurt people and hurt people is so uh yeah it's it's, it's yeah, something that it's I truly can't awful. understand no that's it's it's truly evil actually yeah. and it's and it's really it's it's horrible yeah, yeah it's really horrible but there are so many so many hurdles to overcome and I do think that's in some ways they didn't have the choice because it they needed to come out mm-hmm. but in other ways you know they could make much more of an effort to dress androgynously or whatever that was brave they didn't have to wear a skirt that day mm-hmm. that's brave yeah and they looked lovely mm-hmm. <laughs> really lovely so yeah we have those are the brave things we have ahead I think um um, and supporting that and and being that example for for my child of, of and getting it right it's so important I have to get it right all the time I can't make mistakes because it's too important because yeah. they'll see them and they're 16 <laughs> and they will pick me up on them so uh, yeah Paris Lees being somebody who is is really open about their trans status mm. and yeah love me I'm lovable yeah wonderful yeah. And that's a wonderful message to end a podcast on. Yes. And then I will swerve it around to ask for plugs, <laughs> which is not maybe the loveliest message to finish a podcast with. But if people enjoyed listening to you, where else yes. can they? I'm a very earnest and important person, but yes. please listen to my podcast. Um, <laughs> so I'm on all the socials. Um, if you're going to be nice to me and not be 
turf uh, but I'm sure you don't have any turf listeners because you're too lovely I'm at yes Pauline Air uh, everywhere uh, Air is E-Y-R-E and um, our podcast the podcast that I share with uh, Louise Lee is called Airly Doors E-Y-R-E-L-E-I-G-H Doors and you can find that wherever you get your podcasts it's a very silly game show where we've just recorded um, a very famous comedian and we had a, a EastEnders star on it last week and it's really fun yeah so uh Please do check me out. Thank you so much for being a guest at my podcast. No, oh, thank you, Mariana. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me at, at Mariana's Beats on Twitter and Instagram for all dowdy updates. As all podcasts will tell you, all rates and reviews will be super welcome. And do share the podcast with your friends or on your socials. Hashtag DowdyPod. I would also like to know your pics of people who, to you, are examples of bravery. Share them on your reviews or tweet them at me. Huge, huge thank you to Champagne for the podcast jingle and a bunch of other things that are podcast related. If you've enjoyed listening to Dowdy, have some spare to give and would like to support me and help me improve on my tech and skills, all tips are welcome through PayPal and Coffee on at Mariana's Beats. I've been Mariana Peugeot. Until next week.